Because we're kind of rejoicing about that. Going mm. like, finally, we're rid, rid of those traitors. Mm. And then they were next ones to go. But mm. this particular these particular letters point out to the fact that there was a separate messianic community back then in Poland in 1930s. Uh, there was also uh, a very well-known Messianic rabbi, uh, Rabinovich, in uh, Kishinev in the 1890s, who wrote several books and he was very well-known. In terms of his Jewish identity, he was very mainstream Jewish. Like they were Jewish community, fully observant, orthodox, but his personal revelation was Messianic and all of his community was Messianic. And there were also a couple of well-known Messianic rabbis in, in Bulgaria. And during the time of the uh, uh, fascism rising in Bulgaria, the chief rabbi of Bulgaria was Messianic. And he was very close personal friends with the uh, archbishop and the king's, uh, the royal family. And this is one of the reasons why uh, the, there was no uh, persecution of the Jews in Bulgaria during the Second World War, because the archbishop and the king uh, opposed it. And when the, uh, when the Germans issued uh, an order for the Jews to report to particular spots at a particular time, of the, uh, the archbishop and the royal family appealed to the general population and all of them reported. So the general uh, population of Sofia all had yellow stars and all reported <laughs> to the meeting point. Even though they weren't Jews? No. no wow. Including the archbishop and the royal family. <laughs> so in the end, the squirrel is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> they are ADD animals. <laughs> Too bad oh. Greg isn't here to do some squirrel hunting. Huh? Squirrel, oh, no, but these are mine, the samurai squirrels. Could that be the samurai squirrels? <laughs> and the ninja goats? <laughs> but the, all of those, like what we're saying, those were like little signs that there is still life in that area and that the Lord is still, uh, the God is delivering the revelation of His Son to His people. But it was not a movement. It was just here and there, different things happening. The movement, as such, rose through, uh, mainly through Jesus' revolution in America that had to do with the hippie movement. Really? A lot, a lot of hippies were Jews. Huh. Yeah. In America? In America. Overseas? In America. Many, many hippies were Jews. They started, the Lord started touching hippie movement and the artistic, bohemian, rebellious Jewish children <laughs> started coming into the kingdom. Uh, they uh, started going to churches and trying to find out how they can plug in and what will happen when they plug in. They're still being rebellious going to Christianity, right? So, uh, pretty much, yeah. yes. Okay. Yes, continued with that. But they were, they were touched, and, and you could see that, like, right now in Israel, most of the leaders are still uh, English-speaking American Jews from that so time, Jesus' Revolution time, in their 60s. So interesting, because Azusa Street also, mm -hmm. you know, why is that? That's just... 
Why would it be in America that this would begin? It's odd. I, I think it's. I think the whole focus on let's be open-minded and accepting created a freedom for the certain things to happen that would have not been available in other places. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's happened. It's happened. It's happened here. And they started coming to the Lord, to the Lord, going to churches, in churches, not really finding themselves, and then something that uh, was called Hebrew Christian Association was moved, uh, was uh, formed in the early 70s, and the Hebrew Christians were uh, basically the the, fir the first. Uh, the first leader, director of Jews for Jesus, uh, Moshe Rosen, was the one of the founders of the Hebrew Jewish Union, uh, where there were Jews in Christian churches looking for their identity mm -hmm. and kind of how can I be Jewish and Christian at the same time. This is a very, very strange concept for both Christian church and the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. It is, it still is. Christian church would say, why can't you just be Christian? Like, what's, what's the deal? Why can't you? And some people are more articulate about why not, and some people are less articulate. But the fact of the matter is that the spirit is not allowing this spiritual assimilation. We had cultural assimilation for hundreds of years, and the spiritual assimilation, the spirit is not allowing. So all of those people were discontent just being mm -hmm. Christians in churches. They wanted to find Jewish expression. Mm -hmm. Then at some point uh, in the late 70s, Messianic congregations started being formed all over the America. At the moment, the biggest Messianic, largest Messianic communities are in Latin America mm -hmm. and in uh, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are hundreds of thousands of Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles who join Messianic congregations because they kind of they're looking for the Jewish roots of the Bible and the Jew in connection to the Jewish people, and they think that is the way. We'll see what will happen next. But also, there's some there is a development in the past maybe 10, 15 years that is becoming very apparent of the Jewish people in the historic churches that experience restoration of the Jewish identity without a call of leaving the church, with a call actually to remain within their mm. church movements <laughs> as a representation of the Jewish people. So like Hannah Miley would be an example. Like Hannah Miley would be. Or I have uh, a friend who called herself a Jewish reform. Her <laughs> father is a reformed pastor. She's the ethnically Jewish. She is in the in a reformed church in France, married to a pastor. Uh, and there are like, also in Catholic Church, in Russian Orthodox Church, there are people who begin to realize their Jewish identity and feeling stronger about the fact that they are Jewish with the call to remain in their churches. What's happening now is like, when people look at the Messianic movement, Something happens that happened to me in regards of, of Orthodox Church. You kind of look at it without compassion and without understanding of the prophetic significance. Because what's happening right now is a bit of a mess. 
you have a bunch of very hurt, very wounded people trying to assert themselves in their identities, mainly on an, in a negative way. Like, we're not this. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we are, but we're definitely not this. So you, would, you have like a little bitter gathering of extremes. Like, we're not gonna, we will be more Jewish than the chief rabbi of our county, you know? Because they're trying to find themselves also within the Jewish community and position themselves in connection to the Gentile church, like where we are. And it's a work in process, and it's actually, like historically, what is 100 years, less than 100 years, you know? for history. It's, it's nothing, seriously. The, the records of some kind of distinct records of Messianic congregations started coming in the end of uh, 19th century. So we have about a hundred years behind us. Nothing. And for a, pe for a people group to shape their identity, it's mm -hmm. also nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's right. very raw. And it's very aggressive in your face. I'm not that, I'm not Gentile, I'm not Christian, I'm not, I'm not, not, not. Uh, and then there's, on the other hand, you have a Messianic Jewish communities in Israel that have kind of very, in a way, they have also their own issues, but it's there's a different package of issues. Uh, the fact of the matter is that is, this is a very prophetic sign. It's a prophetic witness to the body of Messiah, of God restoring his people, keeping the remnant. Mm. If, he d if he's done that, then the first Messianic Congress, like Hebrew Union, Hebrew Christian Union Congress, what was happened in 1948, which is the kind of the year of yeah. the establishing of the State of Israel. I think Messianic Jewish movement becoming very visible and the state of Israel becoming very visible to the world uh, connected events confronting the church with Israel. If maybe 100 years ago you could be a very good, healthy, devout Christian without ever considering the issue of Israel. Mm -hmm. Today you can't. You have to, and if you're not haven't, if you're not doing it today, you will have to do it mm -hmm. tomorrow. But at some point, you will have to position yourself with with the whole issue of Israel. It's good. And yeah. Israel, like what the the Lord Himself says, it's a stumbling block. It's a it's a rock, a heavy rock, that the nations are going to stumble upon, and they will try to lift it and nicely stack it somewhere, and they couldn't. Because it's, it, it, it's offensive. The offense of Israel for the body of Messiah, even today, is great. So, and the Messianic movement is not really there to smooth it over. They're actually there to go, to put it like... And <laughs> <laughs> in their brokenness and in their obnoxiousness, they they put it in your face and you have to say okay well what am i going to believe about 
about Israel. The teaching that is coming is not, and you kind of in a majority, is not a very balanced teaching. Like we were talking yesterday with Amy, and Amy said, you know, kind of a parallel between choosing an Isaac and Isa, uh, the parallel to choosing Israel versus the rest of the nations. And I, and I told her, I think the, for me, the way to look at it is not, is not that. Because the story, for me, the story of Isaac is basically shows how God chooses a line. He chooses a servant through whom he communicates and gives him his anointing. And he says, well, you're going to be that and you're not going to be that. You're going to be something else. And what, I, what, what am I going to do with it, you know? How am I going to respond to that in my heart? But the, the, the Israel of the Gentiles is not Isaac and Esau. Jacob and Jacob, yeah, Jacob, oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Jacob and Esau. Uh, Israel and the Gentiles is day and night, male and female, mm -hmm. work days and the day of rest. Okay. It's something that is designed with, it's not an hierarchy. It's a different calling yeah. that is yeah. complementary. Mm. It's not like one is loved versus the other one who's not loved. God wants the nations. You read it in the Bible, from the beginning, mm -hmm. he wants the nations. So he says, oh, I'm going to take this people and I'm going to use this people so that I can have the nations. Because his final purpose is that all the nations worshiping in Jerusalem. That's his purpose. And he couldn't just go out to pagan nations and say, hello, you know, come here, huge numbers and all that. He wanted to model a different model, so he picks picks a, a person and then a people and then Yeshua comes out of that people that completely identifies with Israel. So every time you think, oh, but Israel didn't do this and didn't do that and they rejected Messiah and this, Yeshua completely identified with Israel. So he is the holy, faithful Israel. Every time you align yourself with the king of Israel, you also pledge alliance to Israel, whether you know it or not. Mm. You're in covenant with God, who is in covenant with Israel. So it's like uh, European Union or NATO. The nations are in covenant with the other nation, and then you're automatically in covenant with all of them. So you kind of, you have to bail them out, you have to stand with them, because this is how covenants work. It's like, it, it creates a network, a chain, the moment you pledge your alliance to the God of Israel, you're in covenant with Israel. You might be a very unfaithful and bad ally without realizing it and knowing it, and you're not, your heart is not there, but you're still an ally. Um, Excuse me for interrupting, can I ask you a question? You're not interrupting, I'm actually finished. Well, I'm having trouble, what do you mean the offense of the Jews or the offense of Israel? Like. What can I don't I know what's going on? Oh, that's nice that you don't. <laughs> Many people do. <laughs> I mean, I, I can guess, but I'm not really sure what you're talking about. No, I think it's a good question. Okay, I have Martin question. Luther. We're in America. It's a melting pot, you know. Well, <laughs> you guys like to say that, but I think if you dig a little bit deeper, deeper, that's it has it does it's not as smooth as it presented. Sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Martin Luther, come has his reform in his heart 
the first thing he thinks, oh, I'm going to go to the Jews. I'm going to bring the gospel to the Jews. I'm going to give them this gift of salvation by grace. And we're going to be all one big happy family. They're going to love me. He goes to the Jews and the Jews go, who do you think you are, you Gentile boy? Just get out of our faces. We've been around for several thousand years and we need no need of you. And they basically reject him in a very bitter way. He gets so offended that Martin Luther is one of the authors of the most anti-Semitic writing created by the church. Hitler quoted his writing multiple, multiple times. The original idea he wasn't anti-Semitic when he started, yeah. but the response of unredeemed Israel was so offensive that he didn't know what to do with himself. Mm -hmm. And God was testing his heart. Mm -hmm. And this particular test, he failed. Uh, the uh, Palestinian Christians, uh, I have many Palestinian Christian friends and we talk a lot and they say to me, you know, before Israel actually appeared, the Jewish people appeared here, the Palestinian Christian community was waiting for the Jews to come back. They were like, it's in the Bible, they're coming back, it's going to be awesome. In the Bible it says they're going to come back, they're going to be really holy, godly people. They're not going to even ask each other to teach them about God because God is going to be speaking to their hearts. It's going to be so wonderful. And then the Israelis show up and they're secular. They don't believe in God. They actually, the first settlers believed in free families. So they basically had like all sleeping together and they had, they were wild. And, and they come in and they're unjust and they take Arab land and some of it is justified, some of it unjustified, and they're not holy people at all, and they don't know God. And the Palestinian Jew, uh, Christian community said, well, that has no prophetic relevance. That is not what is written in the Bible. We're waiting for a different thing. This is not relevant. And this is basically their theology today. The modern state of Israel has no prophetic relevance because the Jewish people and their behavior was offensive. And you can bring them back to um, Ezekiel 37, and you can see how the dry bones rising is a very gradual process. And in it, there is part of this process when you have bones and flesh moving around without spirit. And the Jewish community at large, this is what we are today, we have bones and flesh moving around without spirit. Well, we're still God's holy people. Going back to the offense, I have a friend, a Ukrainian friend, who works with Holocaust survivors in Ukraine. She's a very prophetic woman, and she's a very Gentile woman. She's a little tiny, very, very blonde Ukrainian girl. Uh, and the Lord started speaking. She was a leader of intercession uh, ministry, the prayer ministry of a large charismatic church without much concept of Israel at all. And the Lord, every time she would go deep in the spirit and the spirit would be moving on her, she would find herself down on her face, wailing and going, give me the Jews, give me the Jews, give me the Jews. And she didn't really know what that means until she started pursuing it. 
And then eventually she developed a Jewish ministry that was very, very difficult. And the first time she went to the, the, those elderly Jews, they rejected her. Mm -hmm. And they told her, you know, basically, who do you think you are? And her church rejected her because they said, what, what are you, crazy? What, Israel, Israel, go home, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, and, and she ended up being completely alone. And she had this vision that to me, absolutely pictures perfect today's state of Israel and the relationship of the church to Israel. She is a tiny little, tiny little petite girl. And so she was in worship and all of a, and her hands were like this, outstretched to God. And all of a sudden she felt something really heavy, like physically heavy on her hands. And she said she almost tripped, kind of face down. Mm -hmm. And she opened her eyes and she looked and she had this vision and she realized that she's holding like this. The, a dead, bo dead body of Yeshua, and, mm -hmm. and and she said, and I was completely repulsed. It was horrible. It was bloody. It was gray in color. It was very, very heavy. And she said, I was holding a corpse. And she said, my first instinct was to go like this. But she said, then I realized that it's unbelievably precious. Because the Spirit of God is going to come back to it. And this is the first kind of the the starter, what will happen next would be the glorified body. And what I'm holding right now in my hands is absolutely precious. It's heavy, it's burdensome, it's, it turns my stomach, but it's also precious. Mm. And this is the way Israel is today, and it should be today for the church. It could, it's not alive. It does not have yet the full presence of God. And even in the Messianic community, we are struggling to hold on to that presence. But we don't, until the rest of our people come in, we're not fully there. It's only glimpses and foretastes. And it's offensive that you have to, like that corpse in front of you. And why am I supposed to carry it? And why am I supposed to view it as precious for the sake of the future glory? And I think it's so close, it's so close. The, 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 the dry bones are already walking around and the spirit is going to come down into them any moment and it's going to be an exceedingly great army. It's so close. <laughs> That, um, how, how do you feel like the offense of Israel is going to change when they are filled with the Spirit? Oh, they're going to become so much more offensive. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Jesus being the only way? Oh, they're going to be so offensive, yes. They're okay. going to be so offensive. All right. <laughs> they're bold and like... <laughs> and, pro and in your face and very like obnoxious Joe. even today. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And very militaristic. There is yeah, nothing, is. nothing pacifistic about it, and it's going to be in your face. They don't really care what you think either. Not so much, no. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, a, a uh, an artist that has been around Ahab and befriended us, and he is he, he really doesn't care. He'll say anything to you. Amy's probably mentioned him, Joe Schechter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's, he's coming to for Christmas. Yes. He is coming. He's coming to our house for Christmas. Oh my goodness. He, he invited himself. He invited himself. Ah. <laughs> ah. He's, when you read the Greg stories, if you get to Arrow, yeah. that's Joe. That's him? That's Joe. Uh -huh. huh. Yeah, he is the Arrow. <laughs> that's really good. So. He, he's, he's, he's interesting because he's not a Christian, but God 
God really does touch him a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So you see the hand of the Lord on him. It says mm-hmm. about the Jewish people that says that it's his prophetic people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are, Moses says, oh, I wish, remember the story when yeah. the three people were out of camp and everybody was prophesying and then they came in and they were not at the prophetic meeting and they started wandering around prophesying too and everybody ran to Moses and said, and he said, oh, like everybody should prophesy. That's like, everybody should just go, should prophesy. Because that's, you. it's so funny when non-believers, the Jewish non-believers, uh, you would think, oh my gosh, you have the depth of revelation of this magnitude, why aren't you a believer? Why not? Uh, because of the veil. That's, uh, Apostle Paul explains it in Romans, in the book of Romans, very clearly. When they see Moses, they are not. They are not. There's a veil separating them between the from the truth, separating Jewish people from the truth, for the sake of Gentiles, mm-hmm. so that all full number of Gentiles would come in, and then the veil would be removed, and then all of those people go, oh yeah, really, duh, of course. <laughs> so why is the offense? I feel like I'm missing. I'm just missing a piece here. Well, be, let me like, let me ask a different question. Yes. Or, or ask the question that. Would you say the offense is the Jewish attitude, or the message, or the combination? The, the com- combination of attitude, message, and the very fact of election. Because the rest of the Gentile body, the church, has difficulty from the beginning of the church, okay. dealing with the fact that God chosen a group of people that seem to be completely unworthy, that have done all those horrible things, and they are still chosen people, and that's his choice. And what about me? Like, if they are chosen, what about me? Am I not chosen? Am I not? Am I less? And and God explains it many times how it works. But any in any way that feels mm, good. offensive, because they are not good enough anyway, and they are objectively not good enough. And yet they are elect. have a little bit of Jewish in you. Are you Jewish? I guess it's on the mother's side. That's right. Never mind. No, actually, uh, biblically, it's on your father's side. Father's side. Uh, rabbinically, it's on your mother's side. Mm-hmm. And it's happened because of the diaspora, because of the spreading out of the Jewish people, and the pogroms, and the Jewish women being raped. And then what do you do with the kids? Uh, so they said, uh, as long as a child born to a Jewish mother, he's part of our community. Because they wanted to keep the children. Yes. So if they have Jewish in them, say like there's a, a Mexican, and well, okay, I was praying, and I was like, Jesus, do I have Jewish in me? And I was like, this whole week I was praying. And then at the end of the week, somebody came up to me and goes, you have Jewish in you. I was mm. like, oh, so what does that make me, Mexican? Still? So, I don't. Uh, it probably makes you Mexican with a bit of Jewish blood. In yeah, it. that's true. <laughs> but I was just wondering what it means and entails in the sense of chosen. But what it means, because I'm not probably like more like a Samaritan kind of mixed. Oh, uh, if, if it was true, if I had Jewish. Oh, just more you will need to ask the Lord how yeah, he positions you. But in the case that's of, true. I think we're all chosen. It's not, and that's what I was saying. I think we're all chosen for different roles. But the question, what exactly your role would be, is is between you and the Lord. Yeah. You can, 
he will call you and position you the way he wants you to be positioned. <laughs> I'm just wondering, as like earthly terms, would that be? Uh, Nothing now. You know, I have a friend who's uh, from Portland, from Oregon. She's a very old friend of mine. And she always introduced herself as a very picture-perfect American wasp. And she gave her mother this genetic test for, uh, uh, you know, the genetic test that uh -huh. they have now to det determine your uh, uh, ethnic identity mm. as a gift for her mother's birthday last year, and it came out that they have Jewish blood in them. <laughs> like um, a significant amount? Yes. And so it's like, oopsie, not as wispy as I thought we were. <laughs> That's funny. Practically changes very little. Are you going to start acting like Joe now? Well, I mean, that's what the guy said. Anything else? I always have more to say. Um, well, I was thinking when you're talking about the, that they will be more obnoxious or more offensive as the Jewish people, like the Antichrist will bring a lot of peace for a time. And the fact that the, the Jews or the true church will be offensive, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people are going to think the Antichrist is... I mean, they will worship yeah. him because he'll bring peace. And so to see, you know, when Jesus said, I, I didn't come to bring peace, I'm going to turn brother against brother and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that, it, it kind of lines up in a weird way. The offensiveness will be appropriate, you know, yeah. like the Antichrist will bring peace, but it'll be evil, you know. So it'll be a false peace. But anyway, so I was thinking, like, that might really end up being very um, truthful, you know, mm -hmm. that offensiveness will be... Yeah. I mean, it, it, maybe it's not now, but yeah. and it also will shake very much the with also with connection to Antichrist and peace. This the modern church understanding about God being somewhat of a pacifist, and we don't really think of him anymore as a man of war, and we're not comfortable with this thought. And he is. That's how he introduces himself. He is. Yeah, and Ishmael Hamad, a man of war, hmm. uh, and that's in the in the soon when Israel wakes up is going to be extremely military successful. Oh. Yeah, that's that's from the prophet saying. There will going to be extreme military success, uh, and uh, and the the rest of the world will just have to deal with it. So when Israel wakes up in a sense of, of becoming uh, aware of, of the Messiah, yeah. they're going to be more militaristic. I think everything is going to be more militaristic for a while until it settles, but uh, yeah. Is that like in, uh, you mean like, I guess like uh, uh, in relation to Hamas and the different things that are going in the Middle East and stuff? Well, we'll see, we'll see where the, the nations are going to position themselves and how is it going to be happening. Because at the moment, they align themselves pretty willingly with Hamas. The nations in general? Yeah. If you look at the UN and stuff. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like in the Bible it's declared the nations don't belong to Israel. True, but then they very soon after they come to worship the God of Israel. So I think there will be, I think, I think churches are going to start shaking and there's going to be a huge shaking and it will be very much around the issue of Israel. Hmm. Some other issues as well, unity in general and, and Israel. Oh, the one subject I haven't touched at all was the uh, role of uh, Messianic Jews in the Reconciliation. Do you want me to go there? Um, role of the Messianic Movement in Reconciliation. It's, I don't have a lot to say on that, on that subject, actually, because it's more like someone told me that in Kansas City, this, this girl said, I just know it in my nowhere. I was like, it's a, that's a very good no, organ, no. you know, my knower. <laughs> that is something I like that. that I know in my knower, so I, I don't have a solid uh, theological foundation for it. <laughs> but the, uh, quite a few years ago, a friend of mine who is Hungarian uh, was engaged to be married to uh, her fiancé, who was also Hungarian. She's Catholic, who is re- he's Reformed. They went to her church and said, could you marry us? But he doesn't want to leave Reformed Church. And they said, oh, well, we need to write to Rome. We need to do this. We need to do that. So if you prepare that it might take over a year until you'll get your answer, then yes. And they're like, no, we're not prepared. And then... <laughs> And then they went to the Reformed Church, and they said, would you marry us? And the Reformed pastor said, absolutely not. You know, she needs to convert to a Reformed Church, and then we'll talk. But no, no way. And they called me, and they said, can you talk to a a pastor in your congregation and see if he'll marry us? And I I said, David, would you marry a Catholic and a Reformed? He said, well, well, as far as I look at that, they're both Gentiles. I can marry them. Like, not a problem. Let's marry two Gentiles. <laughs> and they came to Israel and they got married in a Messianic congregation in Israel under the Hupa. Wow. Both of them are Gentiles. And they see, and when when that was happening, Judy told me, she said, You see, this is exactly that. In our home country, in our home country, in our cultures, I'm Catholic. He's reformed. There's a huge history of pain between us, overcoming it as a labor of intercession for generations. Uh, as far as Israel goes, we go to Israel, we're both Gentiles. Easy. You know? uh, it brings us to a different level. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also helps when a Gentile church looks at the common Jewish Gentile sin against the Jewish people. It's also a very unifying point. And then the, we look at the history of the Jewish people and we see, because the church comes in and the church says, well, they were horrible. They were awful. Look at the mess they made. They were awful. We're going to be so much better. <laughs> we have God's grace and we have Holy Spirit and we're just going to do much, much better. And every sin Israel has committed the church has committed hundredfold, mm-hmm. and you can just you could look. Uh, 
lack of trust, disobedience, trying to make it on their own and their own strength instead of waiting on the promise to come forth. Every single point. You go, okay, this and this and this. And what God says, you know, you were hungry, you were little, you looked at me, you wanted me, you prayed to me. You, then you got fat. And mm -hmm. you don't care whether I am there or not anymore. This is, this is relevant for Israel. This is relevant for the church. Absolutely. So we can, it brings us out of this, like you've done that to me and mm -hmm. I've done that to you, to we all collectively have done this against God. And that's a very unifying role for Israel. But also when we talk about the complementary roles, uh, one of the, uh, the, the calling of Israel is, is a priesthood calling, which basically meant intercession for the people, bringing sacrifice for the people, and uh, standing in the gap for the people. Uh, I think there is a role for the, on the Messianic Jewish community, and in the Jewish community in general later, is uh, interceding for the uh, Gentile body of Messiah. And, and, and uh, praying for them and carrying them in intercession for their unity, for their well-being, for their prosperity, for them coming closer to, to know mm -hmm. the Lord. Good. What is um, the Messianic Jewish... Uh, how, do you, how do you guys view the Eucharist in uh, Oh, we're so conflicted. <laughs> You see, this is the thing. With Messianic Jewish movement at the moment doesn't have a unified theology. So we have every congregation, every movement, every stream is for itself. Okay. Uh, in the in the, in each congregation in Netanya, for example, which was a large, large congregation, we have three elders who were leading the community. Three of them had different theology of of Eucharist, and I was trying to to sort of. I was trying trying to bring them to the point that they would see that it's an important issue and they need to discuss yeah. it. But it's actually not okay that uh, we all take communion without understanding what exactly we're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, however, Father Peter comforted me, me from the book of... Okay, that's, I think, the story is in the book of Kings. And this is one of the... Uh, uh, one, that's a story of Israel coming back. No, 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 it's ne or Ezra or Nehemiah, like one of those two. Mm -hmm. When Israel is coming back and they uh, had no, not enough time to prepare the temple for Passover. So they celebrate Passover tw later, not on the right day because the temple is not prepared. And, uh, but they also do something before that, so they celebrate it twice, but they also do something before hmm. in the unprepared temple. So it's not to the level of holiness it's supposed to be, yeah. but God says just go ahead. Um, so I think in a way, um, it's kind of comforted my heart, like, okay, we're not, we're not theologically ready, yet, but, ready but we'll do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we have uh, morning devotions in our community every single morning, and we take communion every single morning. And different people pray over the gifts every time. Uh, and we have such different versions. We have thanking God for those symbols. We had uh, people praying for the Holy Spirit to inhabit those gifts. 
<laughs> we have people like a spectrum, a large yeah. spectrum of understanding of what that is. Uh, so I'll just wait and see. <laughs> I'll wait and see. <laughs>